What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome in to yet another edition of the Open Run Podcast presented to you by none other than War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm joined once again by my partner in crime in the backcourt with me, Josh Hicks. How you doing? Man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting better, people. I'm I'm being out of the streets. I'm doing good. Got my <laughs> team with me. So, uh, you know, we're getting better by the day. Can't complain. I feel you, man. I got three laptops up. I'm ready to go, ready to get straight into it. Want to send a special shout out to the stars of the league, man, that came out and balled over the last several days this past week, starting first and foremost with Lakers center Anthony Davis, who became the first player in the history of the NBA to post 99 points, 27 rebounds, and eight blocks in a two-game span since blocks became an official stat during the 1973-74 season, on top of joining the late great Hall of Fame center, Wilt Chamberlain is the only Laker ever to construct a 50-point and 15-rebound stat line while shooting at least 70% or better from the field as the eight-time All-Star followed up a 44-point, 10-rebound outing in a win against the Bucks with a 55-point, 17-rebound and three block night on 22 for 30 shooting from the field and a 130-119 win versus the Washington Wizards out in the nation's capital to close out the weekend on a high note. Also want to salute another fellow Laker and his running mate, LeBron James, for passing Magic Johnson for sixth place all-time on the leaderboard for career assists and moving into 13th place all-time in regular season games played this past week in Milwaukee. And last but not least, Grizzlies guard John Morant for becoming the first player in franchise history to ever record at least 10 30-point and 10 assist outings in his career with a 33-point night or 33-point, excuse me, 10 assist evening en route to helping Memphis earn a double-digit victory against the Pistons this weekend out in the Motor City to move to 14 and 9 on the year as they currently sit fourth in the Western Conference standings entering this week. With all the shout outs all done, I want to ask you real quick, Josh, before we move into the topics of conversation in episode eight of this podcast, what were the players or who were the players rather or the performances that either stood out to you or caught your eye within the last several days across the NBA landscape or just basketball in general, man? Man, you mentioned all of them for the most part. Uh, okay. It was definitely, uh, it was definitely a big time outing for Tinseltown. LA made some, uh, definitely made some historical performances while also gathering getting wins on top of that being 10 and 8 and 2 over the last 10 games. That's a big yeah. deal for Tinseltown right now to turn things around. You know, we're going to talk about that later. But the one, the one player that we cannot overlook right now, Anthony, Anthony Simons. Dropped a career. Oh, man, you thinking like me, man. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you go ahead and carry on, bro, because I man. got a lot to get in on him with, too. Most <laughs> definitely. I'm not going to take too much of that time because I know you've been, you know, we've been high on him, but you for sure have been one of those players that's really spoke highly of him. So I'm not going to take, I'm not going to, I'm not going to steal too much of your thunder, real quick. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be real brief. Career high 45 points. And on that 45 points, 15 to 25 from the field goal range, 7 to 12 from three, 100% from the free throw line, 8 for 8. 
also put in four assists and a steal with two blocks and two rebounds in the process. The only thing I'm going to say about Anthony Simons, we all knew he was going to be the main guy to replace C.J. McCullough. That was a given, and he showed that he was ready to take the mantle. But this level of Anthony Simmons that we're seeing right now, it is a different level from when he signed that contract. This brother has actually – he's at the point now where he understands the game and he's learning to dissect it. And that's the effect of Damian Lillard. You can tell this brother's been training and working out with this with, with uh, Dame Dollar himself. And because of that, this dude is sniping defenses like crazy. He made the Utah Jazz look silly in that game. And the way he's scoring the ball, it's like the game is coming to him. It's, it's, it's slowed down. So it's, it's slowed down for, for Anthony Simmons. And you, you definitely saw it in the way that he played that Saturday night. So... Hey, that's my guy. That's my guy. It was Anthony Davis, but since you highlighted Anthony Davis <laughs> and it's the Chicago brother that we know Anthony Davis can be, uh, I got to go with Anthony uh, Simons, man. He's the one that definitely caught my eye. I don't see how he couldn't have, especially when he dropped 33 points in the first half of that game on Saturday night mm-hmm. in Salt Lake City, man. I, I thought he was on his way to a 50 ball. And he's looking like one of the best all-around three-point shooters in the game right now. Such as and he 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 can shoot from anywhere, any type of shot, how you want it. You know, catch and shoot, running off of screens, off the bounce, in the corner, above the break, deep, you know, from the suburbs, if you will. He he he's doing it all. And every year he's continuing to expand upon his game and taking that next step as a playmaker. And he had a big defensive stop late in that game, taking Jordan Clarkson's cookies late in the game, man, to, to help Portland seal the deal in a game in which they were without Damian Lillard. So on the road, you know, as well behind enemy lines. So I, I took my cap to him. He definitely stood out to me this week, had a big-time performance, albeit in a loss against the Clippers, where I believe he hit about eight to nine threes as well. But another guy that stood out to me this week, and I think a lot of people need to keep their eyes on, is OG Anunobi, man. This dude is looking like the best defender in the league. And he's flipping his hips. He's keeping his hands active, making wide strides, eating up space on the floor, and playing the passing lanes, which in turn is leading to a lot of fast break opportunities for the Toronto Raptors in games in which they've been without Pascal Siakam, who has just recently returned to the fold. I believe they lead the league in fast break points per game as a group, scoring 184 points per game in, in the contest thus far to start the year. And him and Pascal Siakam are looking like the best 3-4 combination when it comes to two-way threats in the league. Like, Anunobi just had a, a, a season high, a tied season high with 32 points in 33 minutes and a win against Orlando. And what I liked about the way he was playing is that he was bullying the smaller guards, backing them down on the block, wasn't seeking to force any shots, took the three-point shots when he had them and they were open, knocked them down, was also being active as an off-ball cutter, and in turn got a lot of his scoring opportunities and chances that way. I really like what I'm seeing from him, and he's looking like a guy that's not only an all-star, but could very well be a defensive player of the year candidate. And Toronto is currently right now top 10 in defensive rating. They sit in seventh, entering this week. 
And just pulling up the numbers, like Anunobi's averaging a career high, 19.3 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 2.3 assists. And oh, by the way, he leading the league in steals per game, which is, I believe he currently, as I have it up here, he's averaging 2.3 steals per contest. So if he keep that up and the Raptors continue to make upward strides in the Eastern Conference and remain competitive, which they've been managing to do and win some games, even without Pascal Siakam, due to the, the presence of OG Anunobi, then I think the sky's the limit for him not only being an all-star, but possibly being a defensive player of the year recipient. Um, another guy is Jalen Brown that stood out to me. Man put up 20 points in the first quarter against Brooklyn in a big-time win, had 34 points, believe he had 10-plus rebounds, had, a, had several assists, and, oh, by the way, he didn't turn the ball over. And he's made a lot of upward strides in making sure he takes care of the basketball this season. And it looks like him and Jason Tatum are finally starting to turn that corner and take that next step is a one-two duo. They looking like Batman and Robin over there. And we're going to get into Boston a little bit later in this episode. But, man, if he keep playing at the level in which he is, he's going to be an all-NBA selection. And he's going to be able to garner a significant pay raise come the end of this season. I mean, Jalen Brown has always been someone that shut down a lot of the haters uh, coming out of California. He wasn't, even when he was drafted in, as a first round pick in this draft class, he wasn't viewed as someone that's going to take this much of a stride and, and leap in his game. Um, and he's done tremendous jobs doing that. And what makes Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's duo so, di so dynamic is because now the game has slowed down that much even further for him, for both yeah. of them, honestly. The game slowed down a lot for them. You can tell even in the finals, the, when even, even though the, the game slows down in the finals, they were still moving fast. You know, you could tell they were sped up. You could tell they were playing outside of their rhythm. Now in every game that you've watched so far and that we've seen so far, it seems like, all right, give me the ball. You do your thing down there. What's wrong, Jay? It's just playing team. It's just playing, you know, it's, it's, it's just going back and forth. And, okay, which little ant you want to crush first? And it's and, it, and because of that progression, that development, and honestly, in a lot of ways, maturity in their game, it makes them so hard to handle at, at, at the same time because they both can do the same thing so effectively well. And the fact that they're able to, and they're the focal points of their offense, but what also makes Boston so deadly is you can build off of them because they can play Mickey off each other. They create well for other opportunities for other people. And Boston is currently sitting in the top of the East just because they were able to take that next le level. Like you said, we're going to get back into that later. But when you talk about that dynamic of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that's the one-two punch that you can look yeah, then you really, really can look at it and be like, yeah, that's a championship team right there. That's a team that can take it, that can actually finally take it to that next level. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And currently, as I have the standards pulled up right in front of me, Boston sits with the best record in all of basketball right now, with a 19 and 5 record through their first 24 games as of this recording. And they have also won eight out of their last 10 games scoring nearly 121 points per night. But 
before we get into them, we're going to talk about a team that is in the Eastern Conference, but not at the top of the class next to the Celtics and the Bucks, and that's the Chicago Bulls. They just recently wrapped up a six-game road trip, went one and three on a four-game road trip out on the West Coast this past week, losing to the Suns, the Warriors, and the Kings as they finished with a two and four record on their six-game road trip overall. Despite capturing wins, starting the road trip against the Bucks as well as against the Jazz out in Salt Lake City, they got annihilated at the hands of Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns, despite being without all-star guard Chris Paul and wing Cam Johnson down in the desert, losing that contest by 19 against the top-seeded team entering this week in the Western Conference. Game wasn't really even all that close, to be honest with you, as the final score indicated with the way Devin Booker was able to put up 51 points in three quarters. As those who familiar with the show got a chance to hear me and Josh briefly discuss that live on our open run special edition episode prior to the Bulls and Warriors game this past Friday. And that led to Ayo Dusumu and Patrick Williams being demoted from the starting lineup in favor of Alex Caruso and Javante Green in the process. However, it would not be enough as the Bulls dropped yet another contest at the hands of the Golden State Warriors in spite of a late rally, as well as the Sacramento Kings to close the road trip in spite of Zach Levine's season high 41 points on 16, 428 shooting from the field and a nine-point defeat this past weekend. So let's cut to the chase, Josh. Bulls coming into this week with a 9-14 and 14 record. They sit 12th in the Eastern Conference as they have lost seven out of their last 10 games. They return into the city as we speak to play four out of their next five games, starting with a showdown against the Washington Wizards on Wednesday night at the UC. What are your, your takeaways from this road trip, man? Um, and, and where does this team go? I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's, it's the same old stuff, just a different day. You know, shots not able to fall from three-point land. Guys aren't stepping up. Energy and effort is up and down. Team continues to still play from behind. Made some rallies over the last two nights to try and get back into the game. But it just was too little, too late. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm at the point where with the Bulls, I got to give a shout out to my guy, Drew. We got to give a shout out to our guy, Drew, man. He he made a tweet. And it's very intriguing when I read it. And the, the tweet says, the problem with the Bulls isn't their lack of three-point shooting or the two-way talent. It's that their best players oftentimes need guys like Javante Green, Alex Caruso, and Derrick Jones, Jr., Derrick Jones Jr. to prop them up when they're the ones who are supposed to provide the stability. And that is a very profound tweet because it speaks volume to who the Bulls are putting and investing into to be the future of this team. There is no reason why the Bulls have to rely on their bench to help save their big three in every game. And that, unfortunately, has been the storyline every single game. And God bless America to the fact that the, uh, that the Bulls actually have a better bench this year 
than they did last season. Because if you maintain the bench from last season carrying into this season, the Bulls probably would lose more games. The second unit has actually been the saving grace of this team. But when you are supposed to be the star players on your team, and Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Kola Vucevic, you are the three guys, the three all-stars on this team that should be taking this team to the next level. And one out of your three, for the most part, is someone consistent every night, which the other one, who is supposed to be the face of your franchise, not living up to those expectations. And you still got Vooch still trying to figure out what it means to be a third option on this roster. That's, that doesn't speak to the talent. That's honestly potentially chemistry issues. So I'm not saying everybody got to go. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is moves got to be made because the chemistry with the current lineups that you have, along with the talent that's put on the bench, is not cohesive as we thought it would be. And I do think eventually changes are going to have to be made. This is point blank simple. You know, Billy Donovan is an interesting guy to me. And I'm going to get into him a little bit Mm-hmm. In just a, a moment after I get into my points, he you you can make some arguments that his rotations aren't the best, but I do see him trying to make some tweaks and alterations to the lineup. Now Javante Green, who started over Patrick Williams on Friday night, was unable to suit up in Sacramento due to some soreness with his knee. Mm-hmm. And as a result, Patrick Williams was inserted back into the starting lineup at the four slot. It ain't working. It ain't working. And I think it's not working in large part of the fact of the points that not only Drew alluded to, and we talk about our man Drew Stevens, who's the host of the Rebuild Bulls podcast with Matt Gentile. With Matt Gentile, y'all check that out. By the way, like it, it, it's 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 bigger. It, it, it's bigger. It's it's bigger than that. Like you you got a lot of it, it's it's a lot of issues, man. Like no, they don't they don't shoot the ball well. They're not even defending at a high level anymore. Mm-hmm. And like Drew said. Where where are your stars? Not only where are your stars from a leadership standpoint, but then your other role players as well. Yeah, you do have a solid bench. And guys like Goran Dragic, Andre Drummond, and Bits and Spurts have helped provide a major lift for this team. But then you've also had guys in and out the lineup due to injury. But even in spite of the injury, you can't use that as an excuse. I hear so many fans talk about, oh, man, I miss Lonzo. If we had Lonzo, Lonzo alone can't save this. Hmm. I just, I, I don't I don't believe that he can. And you said it a couple of days ago when we spoke during a live edition of an open run segment saying this team has no identity. Last year, I knew what the Bulls' identity was. That was on the defensive end of the floor, mm-hmm. where, which they utilized not only to get stops, 
but to get out and run because their half-court offense wasn't necessarily the best unless the ball was in number 10's hands with the money on the line. And that's DeMar DeRozan, for those who don't know who we're talking about. So when I, when, I look at this, with, when I look at this team, yeah, moves do need to be made. And Arturis Karnasovas and Mark Eversley are going to have to sit down and have a meeting of the minds sooner rather than later to ask themselves, what direction do we really want to go in with this group? Are we cool with just getting a playing berth or a playoff spot and getting axed in the first round for the second year in a row? Or do we want to catapult ourselves into being a major player in the Eastern Conference for years to come? Well, I can tell the answer answer to that right now. They want to, they they already made it clear they want to go past the second the first round of the playoffs. They're looking to improve and move forward. They're not looking to regress. But what they're seeing right now is regressing. Exactly. The question is, are they going to be aggressive enough to pull them to do whatever plug and make whatever moves necessary so that way they can still give themselves a fighting chance to regain some ground and put themselves in a position. So hopefully they can make the playoffs and then make a quick and, and, and based on how hot they can get down the stretch, maybe make an effort to make it to the second round. That's the real question. Now, we know Acme can be aggressive because they were aggressive enough to pull that tra- pull the trade deadline when getting Vucevic here two years ago, as well as making other moves, bringing Javante Green and those guys here to create the roster that we have now. And they were aggressive in the offseason following that, bringing in Lonzo Ball, bringing in Alex Caruso. We know these guys can be aggressive enough to make moves. The real question I have to think about when you bring, when you ask this, when you ask that, first of all, is the direction they're still going the same direction that Billy Donovan is going? Because you already signed them to an extension that no one knows about. So until this past you- week. And let's get into that because Billy Donovan came to terms with the Bulls on a contract extension prior to the start of this season that was not announced until last week when Sham Sharania of the Athletic reported it. And it caught many people in the NBA world, particularly across Chicagoland, by surprise. What are your thoughts on that? And, and, I, and I'll tell you why that move did kind of catch me by surprise, because I know a lot of people who have given this front office the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say rightfully so to a certain degree, because they have bought, you know, progress here. They have been aggressive and made some moves that previous administrations, which don't need to be introduced, would not have likely done in that scenario with all of that said what, what what's your thoughts on it and if there's anything that you weren't pleased about with it should we look at the acme regime a little different now well i, I will say this i look at it slightly different for sure because we always knew that Acme is like G's. They move in sounds like lasagna. 
we already know that, right? They've done that. They have a history of doing that. And so that, so they're, all they're doing is that, moving in that operation. So I guess we can't be surprised by that. Well, we can't be surprised by the fact that if this is the coach that you hired, the first coach you actually got a chance to truly support and hire, and you locked in long term, why are you not that proud to let the rest of the world know that this is your guy moving forward? Because clearly, for this to happen so long ago, when, you, when you're, we're talking prior to the start of the season, we're 20-something games in. The season started in October, going to November. We're in December now. So I, it, it, that's a, it surprises me that they're willing to hold it for that long. And imagine if Sean's never reported it. When were we going to find out? Like, when were we going to find out that, you know, Billy Donovan was going to be the head coach for the long term? Because we used to operate that this dude got two seasons left after, well, one season after this year. And the reality is at the end of the day, as much as Billy Donovan is known to help progress teams, he's also known to regress teams. Going back to his Oklahoma City Thunder days. So, I, 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 it, it gives me it gives me slight hesitation behind what the future of this Bulls franchise is going to look like when you make a move for a head coach in that manner. Players, I understand, but a head coach, the head coach you already hired, that's 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 problematic to me. And the only person I could think of that probably has the say in this. Is John Paxson because he's still in that front office. That is true. He's not making the move, but he's the advisor to these guys. Yeah, and he was the one that knows what he's part of the reason why we're in this. We were in the hell for so long, okay? And now we're getting out of it. Great, but this is this move is very Garpax esque. Let's just be honest; it's very Garpax esque. So if that's the case. And John Paxson is still in that office. Are, are, are we potentially saying that the influence is becoming that much greater from his side than what we originally thought? That's where I'm getting questions from. That's where my questions come from. And that's where my concern makes it seem like when it comes to the current status of this regime. Yeah, I, I, I understand the questions. I definitely do. I have a lot myself. But I, I find the move to be very typical of the Bulls. You know, I don't have any ill will towards Billy Donovan, even though I question a lot of his rotations. One thing I will say when he came here, he did bring stability to the mm -hmm. Bulls organization during a time when they needed it. However, I'm also familiar with Billy Donovan from the Oklahoma City days myself, having covered a team that was a rival of Oklahoma City during that era, and that was the Houston Rockets. And one thing I do know about Billy Donovan, and I've heard players talk about it around the league, he isn't always as willing to make the necessary adjustments that are needed on a game-by-game -game basis in order to help his teams get over the hump. And we had questions about Billy even last year in spite of all of the injuries that depleted the roster and took the Bulls from being 
at the top of the East to within the middle of the pack mm -hmm. and barely getting in the top six, finishing last year with a six, with the six seed. With all of that said, though, I, I, I can't say that I'm shocked, but if you're really going to be that married to Billy Donovan, you're going to have to supply him with some tools to work with. DeMar DeRozan, no disrespect, had one of the top 10 bull seasons. You're probably going to see it in the history of the franchise a season ago. But he is getting older, and he's approaching his mid-30s. He's also playing under a tremendous workload right now. He's got to be among the top of the top in minutes per game. And while I know he's not the type of guy who's going to use that as an excuse or a cop-out to say, hey, you know, I just can't do it or whatever like that because we know the high-level competitor that, that Debo is. And I know you especially know Josh covering this team with the bigs. Like, I, I get all that. But at the end of the day, he's been struggling these last couple of games. Mm -hmm. I think he shot like 10 for 33 the last two games. So with that said, and him being at the stage of his career that he's at, not having won a ring, not really signing a long-term contract and not being a long-term option, the Bulls need to figure out what are they going to do with him within the next several months to a year, especially especially if things don't get turned around. Because you got four of your next five games at home. And if you can't win these games in your own backyard, then I think the hot stove perks up a little bit in Chicago land, and people have to start asking themselves, hey, do we need to not necessarily rebuild, but retool? And if so, how do we do that? Which brings me to my next question for you, Josh. With Lonzo Ball's status to return up in the air and the team's slow start, has the time come to ship players out, in your opinion? And if so, who should or shouldn't be on the block? I don't think Zach Levine will be, especially fresh off of a max extension, regardless right. of how fans may feel about him. And I understand, but I do want to point out to those who may not be privy that he is coming off of a knee surgery. Did look good the other day, though. But I'll let you carry on and answer that question, man. Like, who who, 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 who gets shipped out or has the time come for players to get shipped out? I think the, I think the time has come for players to get shipped out. Um, and I think the reason why we haven't heard much about it is because Acme is over here listening to phone calls. I'm not going to say that uh, they're the ones searching to make those calls, but... I will say they're feeding, they're feeding them, they're listening. And I do think, and I mean, there's reports out that, um, you know, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are not to be touched. Those are the ones that are untouchable right now. Um, so with that being said, if that is, from what I heard is true, Vooch is gone. I think, I think Vooch is on the block, um, especially considering that he is on the last year of his deal. He is an unrestricted free agent. And from what I heard, 
they've had contract negotiations and I believe they are, they were confident that, you know, maybe this off season, something can get done, but, but the way this team is moving, I don't see how he should, he would want to stay. I really don't. Um, especially since he is the, even though he's a team player and the third option on the player, I mean, third option on this team, you could just even tell in the last couple of games, he's starting to, he's not an outspoken person, but he's slowly but surely demonstrating the frustrations of how this team is playing, not just defensively, but offensively too. And, yeah. um, you know, and if this continues, as much of a team guy as he is, and how much of a um, and how much of a cold, calming presence he is in the locker room. I don't think he's going to want to stay around for this show, because this isn't what he expected when he got over here. So I do think Booch is on the block. The fact that if that report is true, also that means also shows that they're willing to get rid of Patrick Williams, which is very interesting to me, because you spent the whole whole offseason not trading him when you could have yeah. to get veteran players that could fit what we're doing right now. So the fact that they're, you're now potentially willing to put Patrick Williams on the table, hey, that shows you something. And I think Pat, Pat Williams is starting to maybe even sense some of that, haven't talked to him yet, but maybe he's starting to have some sense of it because he even said when asked about his starting position being taken, he said, I kind of felt it was coming. Yeah, he said, I expected to be demoted. I, I saw that quote. Yeah, so if he's expecting it, what else you expecting, bro? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what else you expecting? So maybe he's sensing some of that pressure too. And I will say, even though he has had a better year this year from shooting the ball, I'm surprised. I won't be surprised if Kobe White's on the block too, because he's on an expiring deal. And you know, there's always been and there's been question marks from what I've heard regarding the development of his talent, you know, uh, developing as a player over there. You've been there for going on five years now. And through it all, you have not been able to perform at the level we expected you to perform. So I think those are the main players that they're going to be willing to trade um, as far as retooling this roster. If they're not doing it, if so, by the trade deadline, I would not be surprised if those players are moved. Um, that being said, outside of that, do you really have any other expendable players you're willing to trade like that? Not really, because you just signed Goran Dragic. You just signed Andre Drummond. You want, I, you can tell just from the front office alone, they want to keep Alex Caruso. He's the one that plays hard every night. Um, and they love Javante. Although I get the question, Billy Donovan's rotations and how he's used them as of lately. That's a question mark. But for the most part, they love Javante and they know that Javante's a game changer. I don't see them moving off of that. So it's a lot of question marks in regard to that. But I think those are the main three players, at least, that the Bulls are going to consider trading. And if not trading for players, trading for some type of capital. Because they're already low on that capital since they traded a lot of their pieces for in the in the Nikola Vucevic trade and also Ooh. in the Lonzo Ball trade, uh that that three team trade that you know they when they end up getting Derrick Jones Jr. So uh so you know they traded away some quality uh draft ca- compensation for the guys they got now. So I won't be surprised if they may be potentially trying to get that back if they're not trying to add other players to the roster. 
And I'm glad you bring up the draft compensation standpoint because when you really look back at the Nikola Vucevic trade, Orlando won that deal. And for those who are quick to say, well, oh, the Bulls should just sell everybody right now and tank for Victor Wimbayama, well, I got mm-hmm. news for you. The pick is top four protected only. So if it falls outside of the top four, that's Orlando's pick. And guess who has the worst record in the Eastern Conference as we speak? Orlando. So Orlando is going to have two first-round picks no matter what. No matter what. And the Bulls' chances of getting Victor Wimbenyama is very slim. To those listening, you probably have a better chance of winning the Powerball than you did the Bulls do of getting Victor <laughs> Wimbenyama. So I, I, I'm going to just say that and get back to the question at hand. And I heard a report that was released by Woj where he was saying that a lot of teams around the league are actually holding out a lot of hope for the Bulls to sell before the trade deadline. And I believe, as I said earlier, that the next 10 or so games will impact what moves are made. With that said, yeah, I, I agree with you. Booch is on the block. You do have to find out a way to get something in return for him, especially with him being on an expiring deal. And if you don't have any, you know, inkling or ability to see that he wants to resign here or you don't want him here, then let him go and get what you can for him that's fairly reasonable. DeMar, they can say that they want to keep him, and they might keep him past the trade deadline. But I still feel like he's a player that you have to monitor because he's in year two of a three-year deal that he signed with the Bulls a summer ago. That's something to keep in mind. And if they get that draft capital, like you said, for a DeMar DeRozan that's solid, then you know what? Maybe they make that move. And they probably make that move if it's an all-star point guard attached to it. I know a lot of people aren't aren't open to Russell Westbrook coming to Chicago, but I'm going to tell you something. It could happen because let's think about who the owner of this franchise is. And let's think about what his number one objective is when it comes to running this franchise. That's making money, right? Russell Westbrook still got box office appeal, does he not? Bulls are out here without Lonzo Ball. Let the Lakers attach some draft picks to the DeRozan deal if they really want him bad enough and throw Russ in, even though Russ is on an expiring deal. I think the Bulls would try and take it. I do whether they were in position to be a play-in team or in the thick of the play off Hunt. I think that that's what they would do. I'm not saying that it's final. I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but it would not shock me. Kobe White getting moved would not shock me at all. I mean, he's been in trade rumors the last couple of years. And even though I think he's been a solid six-man off the bench, His defense and his playmaking, or lack thereof at times, has left a lot to be desired by not only 
the front office and the coaching staff, but the fans alike. So I, I, I see Booch, DeMar, and Kobe being the main three guys that could get dealt. And I wouldn't be shocked if Io got dealt, but I, I think they will keep him. I think they will hold on to him for the time being. And because he's still a young player, him being a native of the city and so forth, I think they'll hold on to him. But I really don't think nobody is safe at all with the exception of Zach Levine. And I put Javante in there only because he's a solid role player. But if you could get a longer wing for him, I I, I would consider it. I would consider it because this team needs some size on the wing, and they need a wing that can not only defend at a high level on the perimeter and, you know, drop back in coverages, but could also shoot. You out here dropping bombs, ain't you? Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I, I, I hear you on the Russell Westbrook side. I do hear you on that. And let's not forget, too, when you mentioned Russell Westbrook, who was Russell Westbrook's last coach before he got shipped out of OKC? Billy Donovan. So he knows what it, he knows what it's like to coach Russell Westbrook. However, it's the Lakers, man. They ain't going nowhere. The pick's not going to do nothing for us. <laughs> like that, 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 they're not going to do anything for especially if you're talking about if LeBron James leaves. This is especially if it's post LeBron. I'm not that let's not go there because if it's post LeBron, oh good lord. That you can you can forget it. Tinseltown ain't going nowhere. It's about to be complete darkness in Tinseltown because LA is gonna it's gonna be trash. Okay. They have nothing to salvage for outside of Anthony Davis right now. And as much as I love Anthony Davis, and you know, we'll get into that later, because you know, they've been calling them street clothes, and you saw me. I've been calling these people out, but I'm calling my man street clothes. Drop You're not the only one I seen calling people out. I think a lot of us been calling people out about AD. Yes, sir. I've been calling them out, and I still support AD. But For he sure. Ain't got the Earth Riders of Russ and Braun are gone. Everybody else is trash. I can't see them winning. If, if, if those those picks are want to say is like 2027 and 2029, right? If they're 20, oh yeah, they would be towards the latter part of the decade. For sure, because if you think about it, most of the Lakers' first-round draft capital for at least the next couple of years belongs to New Orleans as part of that trade that involved Anthony Davis to go to the Lakers back in the summer of 2019. Yeah, yeah forget it. Nah, nah, I'm good. I'm not taking no calls. I don't care how bad you want, Boots. I don't care how bad you want, Tebow. I don't want your picks, man. Your picks <laughs> are not going to benefit me in any way, shape, or form. Let me keep sipping my tea to that BS that the Lakers are trying to throw over here to the to over here to Shot Town. I ain't got well, time. Let's, let's be clear on that, though. That was something Bill Simmons proposed on his pod. Yeah, and I'm, BS. Not saying, I'm not saying that it has no legit legs to it, but when I see it, I, I had to stop. And look at my in my phone, it was like, you know what? From a basketball standpoint, I don't think it makes the most sense. But from a business standpoint, it does. And then when you connect the dots the way that you did, saying that, yeah, the, the last coach he played for during his final days in Oklahoma City was Billy Donovan, who he happened to also have three consecutive seasons where he averaged a triple-double, won an MVP award, and had several All-NBA selections. Led the league in scoring, had won an assist title along the way. That's something that you you you, you just have to think about. You you have to think about it. And 
I'm pretty sure if the Bulls were to trade DeRozan, they're probably looking for an all-star for him, but they can't really be too picky because of his age. So it's not like you're getting a young up-and-coming player or a fringe all-star who's young and under 30 for DeMar DeRozan, unless if you're bundling him up in a package with Vooch. And that's different. But I I I feel like they get more for Vooch than they than they would DeMar at this point. Oh, because teams are always looking for bigs and, and, and so forth, especially teams that are in contention and trying to get over the hump in the playoffs. Oh, most definitely. I agree with that. But my question to you then is since you mentioned that the Bulls will probably want to look for an all-star guard in return for Duke for tomorrow, who in the world do the Bulls reach out to? Who's the guard you want to get for him? For DeMar DeRozan? Yes. That's like a young guard? No, I mean, any guard in general. Any said, guard. Yeah, because you said a young, you, you said a Bulls probably would want a younger all-star guard or a fringe all-star guard who may not be in a low, but maybe in that late 20s, early 30s realm. Still young, but still can get you, but, you know, can still be afforded a, a to service for the long term. Who is that player? That's, that's my question is, if you're asking to trade DeMar, which is some value considering that he's on the high end of his, of his playing when you're talking about efficiency and scoring in the seasons he's had here, who are you trading? Who are you gonna trade for with Demar, knowing that he's on the on the upper end of his age? That's a damn good question because you put me on the spot with this. But now <laughs> that I think about it, and I don't know how the financials work, but I'm sure as hell gonna run it after we finish recording this show and check for myself. I would see after what I heard and many people heard over the summer out of the Twin Cities. I would see what D'Angelo Russell's market is like. I'll give you that. I I, 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 I would check it out because when I look at Minnesota right now, with the experiment that they running with Gobert and Cat is the two bigs, it's not really too much spacing when in the floor of that offense. Right. And stuff is getting crowded up over there. So much so to where it's impacting the driving lanes, not only for D'Lo, to go about operating in, in the pick and roll game and even getting downhill, but also for Anthony Edwards. And Minnesota is not a place that's really able to attract all-stars via free agency. They have to trade for them, such as what they did when they acquired Jimmy Butler several years back. Mm -hmm. And an experiment that didn't work as well as with Rudy Gobert this past summer. Minnesota is a, is a type of destination or, or, or organization that they, they'll, they'll roll the dice on guys. They, they'll roll the dice. And with Ant Edwards in the mix, I mean, I, I think they rolled the dice a little bit too early in the Gobert trade with Utah giving up all them picks. But mm -hmm. they're going to have to make a change sometime soon. And I think Minnesota is the type of team, they don't care how they get into the playoffs. They just want to get there. They just want to get there. And I would check and see what D'Angelo Russell's market value is looking like and whether or not 
we could do a deal if I was in the Bulls front office. I don't know how you package that up. I'm pretty sure, though, if you wanted D'Angelo Russell, you're going to have to give up some draft capital to get him. Because even though he isn't a perennial all-star, he's a former all-star, and he got a lot of money on his deal. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can see that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I, I, I wanted D'Lo to come to Chicago uh, when he came out of when he was coming out of Brooklyn, um, because you know with all the expectations of the number seventh pick and who you could get being kind of slim, I was like, you could package that and get D'Lo to come here. That could be your point guard if Lonzo Ball doesn't work out. But you know we got Lonzo Ball, and you know, why not have Lonzo Ball and D'Lo? I mean, why not? I mean, D'Lo can play off the ball too. D'Lo is yep. a combo guard, and I think they could. I think they could fare together fairly well. Oh, most definitely. I I I definitely agree that can work. So, I wouldn't mind taking D'Lo. I wouldn't mind taking D'Lo. <laughs> yeah, I feel you on that one. But I want to move along into the next segment of the show, talking about some tensions that have been rising in hot Atlanta between Hawks star guard Trey Young and head coach Nate McMillan. Young missed last week's game at home against the Denver Nuggets due to reported miscommunication with Hawks head coach Nate McMillan after skipping game day shoot-around earlier in the day to receive treatment for shoulder soreness, according to Sham Sharania and Sam Amick from The Athletic, a move that was not approved by Nate McMillan, who reportedly issued an ultimatum to Young giving him the option of either coming off of the bench or not attending the game at all is the player who enters this week sitting second in assists per game this season, went along and decided to choose the latter, refusing to show up, and as a result was said to have missed the game due to shoulder soreness, which, as we just recently found out, wasn't necessarily the case. He just followed McMillan's orders. Hawks wound up defeating the Nuggets in a 117-110 contest without Young, who did not receive any disciplinary suspension or fine for his actions and is set to play against Oklahoma City as of this recording to start the week. However, many around the league say that the tension between these two is nothing new and has led to several team meetings throughout the year thus far. Atlanta Atlanta enters the week with a 13-10 and 10 record, sitting fourth in the Eastern Conference standings. Should we be concerned about trouble brewing out of Atlanta following these reports? Um, I, I mean, I guess. The only reason why I say I guess <laughs> is because... Like you said, this is nothing new. This has been happening since after since Nate McMillan's full year last season. Like that's yeah, that's what we're saying. Yeah, like it's, it's been issues since last year. So I think the real issue, though, is honestly not necessarily Nate McMillan. And I'm gonna go here for a lot of these superstars in this league. Nobody's coachable no more. Nobody's willing to take a uh, take responsibility. If I understand you may have issues with your coach. I get it. But at the same time, if you've had many conversations with your coach, you've had many conversations with your front office, and, they, and then at the end of the day, the coach is there to stay. 
something got to give, bro. Because the coach ain't going nowhere. Like you, you have to some. You have to still still respect some type of authority, even though you know you're the face of the franchise. And I only say this because, in a lot of ways, it's not. It may not be spoken enough, but you're dealing with this here in Chicago too. The Aquafines having issues with Billy Donovan. He has to, he's, he's been very outspoken with Billy Donovan with issues of Billy Donovan benching him in games that he's not playing well. Okay. From a player's perspective and a max player perspective, yeah, he has a point. You're the max player, you're the best player on this team. You should be the one that's be on the that should be on the court no matter what. I get it. But also as a player, former player, who has been in all types of situations, as well as seeing what it's like to be a bench player coming to a game, be part of a roster or lineup that helps bring teams back from deficits that keep and brings them to keep their team in the game. You got to roll with the punches. If there's a lineup that's working and you're winning games off of it, or at least being competitive in games, it's not the coach's job to screw that just because you're making $250 million over your five-year contract. The coach has got a coach too. So if the coaches have to coach and yet you have all-stars that are making this big dollars, they have to understand you got to come to some type of compromise because coaches still got a job too. And if they are setting a standard, players have to abide by that standard. It's just that simple. And that's the issue with, that's always been an issue, honestly, since Trey Young has been there because Nick Nick McMillan is not the only coach that's had issues with Trey Young. I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's what I was waiting for you to get to because you brought up coachability. And prior to the show, I told you that I was going to ask you a question that I was going to keep to myself, but now I'm going to reveal it. Do you believe that Trey Young is coachable? We know playing basketball, being around people who know the game, and in these NBA circles, we know that it's never a perfect harmony between a superstar player and his head coach. It's never a perfect harmony. It's just, the, you know, you, you try to find the best balance that you can between the two parties. Because I was going to get into that. He did have issues with Lloyd Pierce, mm-hmm. which led to his exit and Nate McMillan taking over from a assistant to acting head coach, which as we know led to him becoming a head coach as he guided the Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals during the 2020-21 season. I'm not going to say he's not coachable. I'm not going to say that. Okay. However, what I will say is with certain talents and attitudes with players, you need a specific coach that can handle. And I don't know right now if Nate McMillan's that guy for Trey Young. And the reality of that is the front office at that point, I think, should actually look to working with the star player to figure that out. Because over a period of time, things change. Lloyd Pierce was the guy at first. Issues with Trey Young took place. Then they had to let him go. You bring Nate McMillan in. Oh, yay, a fresh voice, a new person in charge. 
Everything's a, it, the honeymoon is great. You go to the Easter Conference Finals, great. Unexpectedly. Next year, unexpectedly. You go to the Easter Conference Finals, yeah, great. The next year, you get stumped. Then the following year, you make these trades. Oh, yeah, there's expectations. We got De uh, De uh, DeJounte Murray now. We re-signed John Collins now. We made, we traded Kevin Herter and those guys. We brought it, and, you know, we have players coming back fully healthy and DeAndre Hunter and all that stuff. It's a, it's a lot. There's expectations this year now. The pressure's back on the Hawks. Then anytime you got your superstar Trey Young, there's going to be pressure. And unfortunately, as much as I do believe that Nate McMillan is a good coach for this for in the NBA, he should be coaching. If you look at his record of coaching, has not gone very deep in playoff runs, except for the Atlanta Hawks that one year. He's been first round exits. Yeah. He has been someone that doesn't know what it takes to go the extra mile to take the team to that next level. So if you knew that when you made him your interim coach and you knew there was an interim and you knew that he was an interim coach, yeah, okay. You took it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay, you give him another chance. But do you give him another long-term contract type of chance? Do you give him another four years? Or do you do one year at a time like the Brooklyn Nets are doing with Jock Vaughn right now? giving them one year at a time and see what takes place because at the end of the day, the honeymoon phase is always going to be beautiful. It's a new voice in town. It's a new leadership in town. But when that honeymoon phase is over, are you really the one that's meant to be for me? I don't know. A lot of players will tell you that marriage ain't really it. And that's something front offices, front offices have to determine. So while we sit there talking about this, I'm not, we can't be, be Pretty much can't even say it's really Nate McMillan's fault or Trey Young's fault. Maybe it's the front office for, for determining that issue. Prior to their game against OKC to start the top of the week, McMillan came out and denied in front of the media that he told Young to not attend the game. He, he said, quote, a situation happened that is private. It's no different than any other day for me and our group. And a story was leaked about that situation. Those are things that we don't normally talk about or address. Things happen with our players on the bus, on the planes, in hotels. We're together a lot. We're family. Things are going to happen during the course of a season. But I address my team about that. I've talked with Trey about that. We're moving forward. The one thing that I do want to respond to there was something said about me telling Trey to not show up for a game. I will never, ever, and have never, ever told a player not to show up for a game. That's just false. Earlier, Young spoke to reporters and downplayed the incident as well. He said it's hard for people who don't know the full situation to understand it. Like I said, it's a private matter made public, which was unfortunate. If it stayed private, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal. Like I said, it's unfortunate. My job and my goal is to win a championship, and that's all I'm focused on. With that said, I, I want to let it be known to people. I don't feel like Trey Young is, is someone that can't be coached. I don't, I don't feel like that at all. Because if I felt like that, 
he wouldn't be the, the all-star that he is today. He wouldn't be the player that he is today. And I've been around Trey Young. I had the pleasure of seeing the guy operate many spaces during All-Star Weekend two years ago here in Chicago. He's a first-class dude. Got number love for him is Pops Rayford Young, who was a star at Texas Tech. They 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 know what they're doing. You know, I, I don't I don't find him to be a an uncoachable guy in, in, in any sense of the word. But with that said, I, I do think you have to raise an eye because it, right now it's a lot of he said, she said type of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous. And that's why even though it's someone who operates in the media realm, I'll admit it. I am the type of guy who will say certain stuff like this does need to be kept in house. Mm-hmm. And I tell you why. Because when it's not, it gets ugly. And that's what we're seeing right now. I don't know what was said. Even if I had sources on the on the scene, I don't know what was said because I wasn't in the rooms. But if what was reported is true, I can understand how Trey felt the way about that. But it was also said by Shams and Sam Amick, who's a hell of a reporter himself, that there was a reported miscommunication. And I think that's the thing that needs to be highlighted when taking this story into full context. Because, I mean, I don't know too many coaches, head coaches, assistant coaches, whoever, would tell their star player, hey, you can't, don't, don't come to the gym tonight. No, like if, if you if you getting treatment, you getting treatment. The question would be, can you can you suit up? I I I I I think he it's a lot going on in Atlanta though. I will say that. Because you got Trey Young, in spite of being in the top five of league leaders and assists per game, his stats have taken a hit. And with DeJounte being there, he's not getting the ball as much. And we all know why they brought DeJounte in to not only cover him defensively, but to also be a secondary, if not primary playmaker next to Trey to make life easier for him. Because as we know, he got a lot of double teams and heavy coverages thrown at him when operating as a single-handed act over the last few years in Atlanta. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that. I, like I said, I'm, I don't think he's uncoachable. Like you said, uh, he definitely he has to got to where he is now with coaches. But historically, it's been proven that when you deal with certain stars, you need certain types of coaches that can handle them. And True. I'm not saying Nick McMillan is not that guy. What I am saying is you may be leading up to something like that because you're seeing a his, a, a repeated pattern of Trey Young having issues with issues in some way, shape, or form with his coaches. And it's not like it's a hidden secret. It's pretty much unopened. Trey, it, they have issues at some point. So we have to figure out, if or a front office will have to figure out, why is there consistently issues with the coaches that they hire 
in working with Trey and then figure out what type of coach actually matches Trey it's since they have chosen Trey to be the face of that franchise. It's no different from what the Lakers experienced to me when they brought Shaq and Kobe in. They had certain, you have different type of personalities on those teams. Those players needed to be coached by a certain guy that knew, that knew how to handle those big personalities. Phil Jackson was that guy. And they brought him five, and they brought, and in between that triangle, they brought a three-peat, and then when Kobe and Phil, they brought two more. Because if there was someone that can coach Kobe the way that Kobe needed to be coached, especially when you're talking about comparing Kobe to Michael, there's only one person that could do that. That was Phil Jackson. And they, even they had some issues. Yeah, and even they had issues. Right. Right, but at the same time, having that type of coach that knows how to handle those issues when they arise, that's what makes the difference. Nate McMillan is a hell of a coach, and from what I've heard, well-respected from players that have played for, for him, but this era of basketball now is a lot different from back in the day. It's a lot different era of basketball. Players have a lot more say. Players, players have a lot to express more of their personality. Players have their brands. As a matter of fact, player if there, no players, there's no league. So they, they understand that. Coaches are understanding that as well, but they have a job to do as well. And it's important for the stars to be on the same page as their head coach. I And like you said, this may be blown out of proportion bigger than what it really is, but it does not neglect that there is, unfortunately, a consistency with Trey Young having some sort of issues, X's and O's, whether it's, whether it's with the X's and O's or whether it's how the team is being operated or, direct, or the direction the team is being moved in when it comes to him as the fourth, as a, as a front main place, main base player in your franchise and the direction the coach that's being assigned to him is taking them. Lloyd Pierce had that, had, was, was one of the first guy. Now make Millions is the second guy. Yeah, and, and I want to point out this as well on this topic. Atlanta's been playing 500 ball over their last 10 games, mm-hmm. and they have had some meltdowns and collapses late in a few of those games that they lost, such as against Houston on the road and mm-hmm. Philadelphia on the road last week. They were in the middle of a losing skid, I want to say of at least maybe three to four games before they started to right the ship a little bit. Now, they're still within the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff picture where they currently stand, and that's in fourth place. But that can play a role as well. Now, I do believe that this is a situation to be monitored. I don't know if there's trouble brewing, but I will say this. If this story surfaces back into the limelight, I do believe that we will see changes in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I do believe that you will see a a Trey Young become more involved in the process of who the next head coach of the Atlanta Hawks will be, should that take place. But I want to make clear that to those who may not be knowledgeable or not know that Nate McMillan is currently in the second year of a four-year contract that he signed to be the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks following the Hawks' run 
to the Eastern Conference Finals back in 2021, in which they stood within two wins of reaching the NBA Finals after knocking off the top-seeded Philadelphia 76ers in the Eastern Conference Semis that year in seven games. So with that said, it, it, it's, it's something to, it's something to monitor. Don't get me wrong. It, it is, but it is something that happens. I think that this situation is much different than what we see going on between Billy and Zach yeah. because it's not like Zach has been asked by Billy allegedly to like sit out of games if he's not feeling well. And even though, and I say allegedly because we don't know what was said in that locker room and in, in, in those channels, but that's what's being reported. Nate McMillan has went on the record prior to the game against Oklahoma City, which is being played as we're recording this, saying, "Hey, these reports are straight up false." No, you, you, you that's very, uh, that's very true. That's very true. It's, it's not the same in that realm. I just brought the Zach Billy Donovan conversation into this because when you talk about star players that are max players mm -hmm. try actually understanding what it means to be a max player while also understanding coaches have a job too and you don't fully dictate everything that happens in the game you play you have a you have a major component to it but coaches got to coach too because their jobs are on the line every year as well and Absolutely. billy donovan has been someone that's been very I'm not just observant of that, but very, uh, very, you know, prominent when it comes to making changes. Even though we cr critique him for making changes, he he also makes changes, you know. And <laughs> and some of those changes regarding Zach Levine have been for the better. So it's something that, and he and he knows that he doesn't like it. He's been very open about. It. That's why I brought that component to things of that it's not necessarily that going on in Atlanta from what we know and hear. Right. um but the theme of star players getting along with coaches you know that's always been something that's been prominent all throughout the league history and it's something that we cannot forget that even though you know players max players and all-stars you know they have a lot of say and and, and things that they do you know, they, they got to also have respect for the coach that they're being assigned to, even though they may not want them because they're not in those seats to make those type of decisions. Unless you are an all-star who has a lot of front office say-so and, and input for the front office to make the moves to get the type of coach that you may want. It's different. There's different. There's levels to this when it comes to max players and things of that sort. And I think the players we mentioned so far and Zach Levine and Trey Young, et cetera, with the front offices that they have, they're realizing what that really looks like. And it may not be exactly what they thought it looked like. And to add to your point on that, even when you do have a large say-so or input in who the head coach of the organization in which you play for will be when there is a head coach opening, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get what you want. Exactly. And like you said, you do have to know how to play through that. It, it's not a perfect utopia by any stretch. Hopefully, you know, they find a way to work that out because they have a chance with where they currently sit in the playoff picture to not only move up, but to do some special things with this group in this backcourt with DeJounte Murray, 
as well as Clint Capella, who's been coming on as of late as well. But I want to carry over from Atlanta to get the bi-coastal a little bit, from Boston to L.A., talking about two rivals who are currently riding hot in the month of December, and they both won eight out of their last ten contests. The Boston Celtics, they sit with the best record in all of basketball, as I mentioned earlier, 19-5, and five, and on pace to finish with the highest offensive rating in NBA history, entering this week having scored 120.1 points per game as a unit per 100 possessions, all the while ranking at the top in threes made per game, three-point percentage, and third in field goal percentage coming into the week eight campaign of the year, shooting 49.4% from long range as a group as Joe Mazzula and Jason Tatum became the first Celtics duo since the late Casey Jones and Larry Bird in 1986 to earn Eastern Conference Coach and Player of the Month awards in the same month. Lakers riding a three-game win streak right now and are within two games of 500 after getting off to a 2-10 and 10 start through their first 12 games after capturing wins in eight of their last 10, led by none other than all-star big man Anthony Davis, who is in the midst of playing arguably his best stretch of basketball in his career, coming into this week averaging 28.6 points, 12.8 rebounds, and a league-best 2.4 blocks per contest. Want to start out with Boston and ask you straight up, bro. Is Boston the team to beat in the NBA? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, just those names alone, should put Boston in any chance to go elevate and get to that next level of not of returning to the NBA Finals. But the biggest thing that we have to be cognizant of when it comes to this Celtics team. They're doing this all within the the situation with Emmanuel Udoka, coaching transition changes. And on top of that, your best center and Robert Williams, who at one point was known to be one of the best defensive players in this league, isn't even on the court yet. Yeah. And you guys are playing, and they're playing as the number one defense along with the number one offense in this league. That's scary. That's scary. And and you have one arguably the best bench you've had in a, in a nice long nice little minute because of the addition of Malcolm Brogdon. Because of other additions that are I, I can't necessarily print, point, point out their names right now, but they have been uh, proactive in the effectiveness of the three-point shooting aspect of things with this team. Grant Williams has, has emerged as a consistent three-point shooter for this team as well. And really dig into that Draymond Green-esque type of role, especially when you talk about defensively. Um, that they're, 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 That's a scary team over there in, in Boston that's currently set up right now. And I wouldn't want to play them. Although, ironically, they lost two, two of their biggest losses have come back-to-back when it comes to the Bulls. I don't know how in the world that happens. <laughs> you tell me. But... <laughs> They had two against the Cavs, too. And two against the Cavs. Yeah. I I don't know what's up with the Midwest, man. They ain't messing with us like that, I guess. But (laughs) whatever reason, outside of that, they're coasting. They're coasting this season so far. Jason Tatum is the early – is for me right now, the front runner for MVP. And 
He is currently playing at that MVP, MVP type of level. You continue this all season long, yeah, Boston should go back to the finals. Hands down. They're a team that you got to worry about. I thought it would be Brooklyn. I must admit, I thought it would be Brooklyn. But, you know, looks can be deceiving. And uh, I have been deceived at this present moment with Kevin Durant and what they got going over on in, over there in Brooklyn. Boston Celtics right now is a team definitely that they have to beat when it comes to returning back to the NBA Finals and potentially winning it, winning it all. Yeah, I mean, you you make great points, man. I, I think this is the team to beat, in my opinion. And you don't see this happen too often in the NBA, especially during the finals. But it does happen sometimes where the best team does not always win. Last year, I said on running reward many times, especially when we were having conversations during the playoffs and analyzing the playoffs on a game-by-game basis. To me, Boston is the best team in the league. They just had have to learn how to win. That was always my thing in taking care of the basketball and playing defense at a high level and hitting shots. Well, the defense has not even been there yet for reasons I believe you alluded to with Robert Williams not being in the interior to help shore some things up as well as coming out on pick and roll switches, defending guards and whatnot. He's so versatile, mm-hmm. man, to the point where, like, his absence is huge. But even in spite of that, they're clicking. Even in spite of the stuff that happened with Udoka, they're clicking. Joe Mazzula got this group moving the ball around, finding the open man, and they're making teams pay from beyond the arc. And one of the guys that you didn't even mention among the newcomers who, even though he doesn't get a lot of minutes when he has, has done some solid work is Sam Hauser. Yeah. You know, like they they getting contributions from guys like him. And that that's a special thing to see. And you talk about Jason Tatum being the front runner for MVP. I agree with you on that because of not only the at the level he's playing at, but the strides and improvements that he's made to his game. He's not just settling for shots anymore. He's finding a way to get to that rim and do damage in the restricted area of the floor. He's also elevated as a playmaker late in games, realizing that, hey, it's not all about me. Let me set up Malcolm Brogdon for a catch-and-shoot look or Marcus Smart. Let me set up Grant Williams and and, and hit Jalen Brown when he's cutting back door and the defender turns his head when Brown is his assignment. So I, I, I love what they're doing. And I think that they're only going to get better once they reinsert Robert Williams into their starting lineup. And and that's what makes things so scary with this group. And Jalen Brown, I got to get into him because he just had back-to-back games with 30 points. And he's improved and become more efficient despite having a higher usage rate thus far on the season. He's been one of the best in the league when the mid-range area of the floor, knocking down pull-ups and moving on off the ball, he's getting it done. And I see a group that 
is not thinking like kids anymore. I think when they got to the finals last year, it was kind of like a sigh of relief. Like, who we finally made it after all of these years getting axed by Cleveland during the LeBron James era in the Eastern Conference Finals. After all these years losing to the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, we finally get them in their backyard, and we got a chance to see what it's like. But in spite of having a chance to win, we made mistakes along the way. Now these guys are acting like true veterans. Like, you had Jason Tatum on the verge of a 50-point game, and Al Horford was trying to gift it to him, setting him a screen, and he was like, no, nah, I already got a 50-point game. That shows maturity. Jalen yeah. Brown talking about, I'm not worried about my contract, even though we all know he's going to get paid. And if the Celtics continue to keep on winning the rate that they are, he'll be an all-NBA player. But he said, I'm not worried about the money. I just want to get to the NBA Finals. I believe you because he's not just saying it. He's showing it with his play. And so is Jason Tatum and the rest of these guys, man. I, I, I do believe that they are the team to beat in the league this year. And the team that had the most talent got beat by the most experienced team a season ago. But now I think they relishing in that experience and understanding that, hey, that final appearance that we had last year ain't promised. So let's make sure that we can do what we need to do to get back there again and win it this time around. Yeah, man, it's a scary sight to see. It's a scary sight to see. And that's the one thing that a, a superstar like Jason Tatum and a growing superstar than Jalen Brown when you experience loss, what's your response? And their response has been, we're going to lock into this Mamba mentality and take it to the next level. And that's something that with those two together performing at this present moment, man, good luck. You can forget it. You can go <laughs> home. It, you, you're not meant to be here. It's just like Prime going to Colorado, going to Colorado and say, guess what? I'm bringing my, ba I'm bringing my peoples with me. I'm bringing my luggage and it's all Louie. <laughs> if you ain't ready for this you can go on and put and hit that transfer portal because it's about to get real over here that's yeah, what Tatum, <laughs> yeah that's what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are doing in the NBA right now y'all better bring y'all bring y'all A game because guess what y'all can take that Louis on and get on out of here we, we, we getting our luggage ready to go back to the NBA finals hey you can you can't blame them they definitely sending that message out and doing it being the number one team in the NBA right now for sure and I want to move in on, rather, to talking about the Lakers. Because last year, Boston found themselves on the verge of a playing spot to start the new year prior to getting hot and catapulting up all the way to the number two seed in the East on the way to the NBA Finals. Lakers entered this week only two games behind their neighborhood rival in the Clippers, Portland, and Utah for the top three spots in the play-in in just one game behind Dallas for the 10th and final play-in spot out West. As we know, this team right now is currently in the middle of a six-game road trip in which they will close out this week going up against the Cavs, Raptors, Sixers, and Pistons. They return back home to Los Angeles to face the Celtics next Tuesday in a nationally televised affair on TNT. Do you believe that this year's Lakers squad 
has the potential to go on a run in a manner similar to the way that we saw the Celtics from like a season ago do it? Uh, let's think about it. All right, so Boston, you know, like you said, started off slow, picked it up, made it to made it to the playoffs, and they not only made it to they not only won in the first round, they swept in the first round, second round, third round. Oh, they actually went to the NBA Finals. Oh, do I see the Lakers doing that? Hell no, no, I don't. I don't see them going back to the finals. My eyes were deceived just like they were with Brooklyn. I had Brooklyn and L.A. We're going, we're going to get the matchup. We finally get to see. With everybody healthy. Everybody going to bring the reinforcements. And, nah, L.A. ain't did none of that. Now, listen. I, I do believe that they can potentially get back in these playoffs, though. I do believe they can do that. Because if you keep Anthony Davis healthy, oh, it's over. You can forget it. You see what my mans is doing. Street clothes is letting the world know I'm not street clothes for a reason. I'm out here. This is why I'm here. I did bring, help bring a championship to the Los Angeles Lakers when I first got here. Don't get it twisted. You know, LeBron can't win without anybody from the shy. So we know that's a given. But the Lakers don't have the bench. They don't have the reinforcements. They don't have the shooting to help maintain this, to go not just into the playoffs, but to do any type of deep playoff run, other moves have to be made. I gotta give it to Russell Westbrook because the man has flipped the script. He has embraced that six man role. He might even put himself in contention if this continues at six man for six man of the year, if he continues to play at this high of a rate that he's playing in, and his willingness to adapt to what the team to what Darvin Ham wants to do with this team and letting Anthony Davis lead the front. You know LeBron's gonna be LeBron. He gonna get his numbers and put up as and be as efficient as possible. But beyond those three, and maybe a couple other players, who can you call on? You can't call on them for consistency every night. Boston already got reinforcements, and those reinforcements are not just imp- not, are not just better from a, you know. Bringing in, bringing in outside reinforcement help perspective, but they're experienced. They know what it's like to go to the finals now. They got that under that under their belt, so they know what it takes to get there. Outside of LeBron James and and, and Anthony Davis, who actually went to the finals, everybody else over there sipping on Similac, bro. They ain't never been to the finals. They were some babies. They ain't, <laughs> been, they, they ain't been to the finals before. They don't know what that's like. They barely know what's about to make the playoffs, if that. So I don't see the Lakers making the similar run as far as going deep into the playoffs and making an NBA Finals appearance. I don't see that happening. But with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook all healthy, playing in the roles effectively that they know they can play in, do I see them making the playoffs? Or have a better chance of maybe potentially getting out of the play-in? Yeah, I can definitely see that. I'm not putting it past them. You can do anything with LeBron. But LeBron got to get some help. And he needs more than just those two guys at this present moment. And outside of that, I don't know what to tell you. I will say this. The Lakers do need shooters. That's a fact. I won't won't argue with you there. I don't know 
if they have what it takes to get all the way to the finals. But after seeing what I have seen thus far, as these games coming up, I believe will tell us a lot about this team and how far they go or have the potential to go. I must say this. I must say it. I like what I see. I like what I I like what I see. I with last time me and you talked about the Lakers, I asked you have they turned the corner. I I, I couldn't I couldn't say that confidently at the time. Mm-hmm. I still don't know, but I see positive signs. And AD, he's making me a believer. I went back and I watched the game against Washington prior to us linking up to record this podcast. And he's made a business decision to say, you know what? I'm not settling for three-point shots anymore. I'm not settling for mid-range shots anymore. I'm going straight in the dude's chest. When I get the ball up the court, I'm pushing it. And when I see a guy backpedaling, I'm going full steam to the rim. He has the mid-post pick-and-roll actions going on with LeBron. That's leading to a ton of success. Mm -hmm. And the two-man game with Russ is looking real beautiful. I understand that outside of those three, you have a series of role players who have never been there. But even in spite of that, they starting to come with it. And even though this team still needs some help in the shooting department, this team has shot close to 40%, if not over 40%, in their last several games from beyond the arc. One of the guys who has been a godsend for him is Lonnie Walker the fourth. Yeah. The one that the Lakers fans and announcers call Skywalker. Yes, sir. Last, last weekend against the Wizards, he shot four of four from three, seven of ten from the field, and route to a 20-point night. From the, from the court, you know, and, and right to a 20-point night. Like, he was one of four guys on the roster that had a big-time outing, but that gets unheralded because of what we saw Anthony Davis do. Mm-hmm. And then LeBron is making magic work in the inside game and outside game. He not settling for three-pointers no more. He's finding a way to get stuff done. And defensively, they're, they're been, they've been solid. They've been very solid, especially guarding the three-point line, making sure that they keep the rim protected. Thomas Bryant has been giving us some solid minutes. And, and the thing that really fascinates me with this group is how they got Russell Westbrook to buy in to coming off the bench. To coming off the bench and being a solid guy off the bench to the point where you have to consider him in the sixth man of the year running. I know it's several guys that could easily be in the running for that award, but man, I I I, I like what I'm seeing in LA. I like what I'm seeing. If they don't, 
if they if, if as long as they continue to not settle for threes and push the ball when they get it off a, a rebound, they're gonna be okay. They continue to keep defending, they're gonna be okay. Darvin Hill got these guys playing. Anytime you can go on the road and get a big time win in Milwaukee, in yeah. one of the league's toughest environments, and then you you turn Washington into LA East, like <laughs> AD had a, a and one in the game when he got his 40th bucket. He saw somebody on the sideline and was slapping him up like he was on the block hoop. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I like this. I like this. And, and Bron turning back the clock, you know, throwing down some tomahawk slams. And, and, and all the Laker Nation was out there, man. And it, it looked like LA East. That's what they were saying on the broadcast. It was LA East in the nation's capital. I, I I mean, look, the the league is better when the Lakers are winning. That's just a given. But it's also better when the stars are shining. We know LeBron has always been shining wherever he went. But to see that light, bright unibrow go crazy. Man. The narrative and everything in Tinseltown. And the fact that he was able to do it in such an emphatic way. Followed up a 40.9 with a 55 piece, with a dime nickel piece. Double nickel. <laughs> Double nickel. <laughs> it, it, it's just, it, it, it was a nasty thing to see, man. And I, and that's what that, and that's the key to helping the Lakers take that next leap. That's, that's what they need consistently from Anthony Davis to put them in a better position of advancing this team moving forward. They know they're, they, they know they got some moves that need to be made and everything. Obviously, I don't, and honestly, at this point, I don't know if we'll see. I can't definitively say that we're going to see Russell Westbrook in the Lakers uniform for the rest of the year. Can't say that. However, let's be very serious here. Him playing this role that he's playing right now is actually is going to increase the increasing his value. Teams are watching. Teams are teams are loving it. Lakers saying we're going to keep this thing going. Yeah, that's right. Keep him winning, Darvin. You're making our chances that much easier to get rid of him. They they licking their chops over there, boy. <laughs> they they looking at chops over there like yeah Russ keep doing your thing you making go you gonna make Christmas come a little early this year cause much we love you brother we I don't think you staying there much longer he so balling that, like he want to stay though he oh, balling like he want to stay oh, and AD and AD leading the league in double double and he getting rebounds like it's nothing and he's really decided to do something that. Not even Chris Bosch was willing to do for LeBron in the prime of his career down in South Beach. He's made the decision that I'm going to play the five. And when I do, I'm going to be aggressive and I'm going to be assertive. Like he had, he had missed a shot inside. I want to say it was in the third quarter. And he got the rebound. And Daniel Gafford tried to jump with him. He was like, no. Nah. And he let out a, ye a loud yell after. I'm like, yeah, AD back. Yeah. AD back. <laughs> AD back. And like you said, they wanted to call him street clothes and all of that. Well, people forget this dude was named to the 75th anniversary team a season ago. Oh, He's showing you why. He's showing you why. And he's had a double-double in 11 straight outings, man. 11 straight outings. I, 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 I got to watch some more Lakers games after last night. 
I, I have to. As we recording this on on a Monday at the top of the week, I, I have to watch more Laker games because I like what I'm seeing from this. Even Austin Reeves, Austin Austin Reeves has been getting in a little action at the point forward, been hitting spot up threes, being very serviceable as an all ball cutter defender. He may not get paid by the Lakers, but he's going to get paid by somebody because he's been a hell of a role player for this group since they acquired him a season ago. I, I, I like what I'm seeing. Yes, they do have to make a couple more moves to become a legitimate player, but I, I think that this team could elevate past the play-in round if they continue to keep playing the way that they have. Darvin got these guys playing, bro. He got them competing. I don't know what he said to AD. But he flipped the switch. If it wasn't him, somebody in that locker room did. Even Pat Bev, like, who would ever thought Pat Bev and Russ would be cool together on the team? Because Pat Bev, yeah, his, his shooting hasn't been there yet thus far. But he's providing the energy to help them set the tone in a lot of these games in the starting lineup. And that's what I like, too. They, I know exactly what the message was that they told Anthony Davis. It's on your shirt. The basketball needs Chicago, brother. We need Chicago. <laughs> we need AD Chicago to come on out. <laughs> and Pat Beverly with his little short self went right next to him. I got you, boss. I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> and then and they brought it. They brought it. LeBron needed Chicago basketball to elevate themselves, you know, and they definitely did when the time needed it the most. For sure. I want to get into one more topic prior to us closing the show. I see I might have to break this down a little bit as we've reached the quarter mark of the NBA season. As we know, the Bucks and Celtics sit atop of the East comfortably while the Suns and Pelicans sit both one and two respectively. Entering the week in an ever-tight Western Conference playoff picture is all teams will have played over a total of 25 games come the end of this week. Let's do a little bit of rapid fire. We're going to talk about 10 teams thus far to start the year on a scale of A through F on a graded scale. We'll evaluate and give our grades for them. I was going to do all 10 for this episode, but I'm going to break it up. I'm going to break it up over the next few episodes and just make sure you know, you guys remind me for those that listen in and whatnot that we, we touch on this. But I want to start with the Portland Trailblazers. Portland is currently, as I have it up on my screen, 13 and 11 through their first 24 games. They currently sit eighth in the West. This was a team that got off to a high start. I thought they was tricking. I didn't expect much out of this team, even though it was a Damian Lillard-led squad. But Chauncey Billups has these guys playing at a very high level, and they're competing, and they look like they got a bright future. What, what, what would your grade be for Portland through the first quarter of this season? I'll give them a B. I'll give them a B. Um, just because they've exceeded expectations about as far as how far I thought they would be from a competitive perspective, and in the wins column. The addition of Jeremy Grant has changed the dynamic drastically with the Portland Trailblazers when it comes to 
not just winning games, but winning games down the stretch. And his leadership has been uh, very impactful on both ends of the floor, along with, you know, next to Damian Lillard. But him rising up with Damian Lillard missing at least, I want to say he missed about a good a force to maybe half of those games in the 24th period with those injuries that he suffered. You know, Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant, uh, Shaden Sharp, those guys really uh, elevating the Portland Trailblazers to at least keep them competitive. And like you said, even though they're in the play-in realm, if you took away the play-in element, they technically be in the playoffs right now sitting at AC. A lot higher than what we would have thought with a team that's currently being led without Damian Lillard on the court. So I'm going to give them a B. I'm going to give them a B. They pass. Yeah, Damian Lillard just recently retired at the end of this weekend for the for the Blazers in a win against Indiana. He's been battling with a calf injury that's had him in and out the lineup through the first quarter of the season. I'm going to give him a B minus. I'm going to give him a B minus. They passed with me too. You know, they came out looking really like we should all be ashamed for even doubting them to contend with the, the top of the top in the West. They revealed themselves to me as a team that looks like a middle of the pack team. I'm not sold on that defense, even though that defense in stretches has looked very good. It's, I still see a lot of breakdowns within it. That's a very common theme for a team that's often led by Damian Lillard, even though I will give Dame credit prior to him going down with the calf injury that sidelined him for about a week or a week and a half. I did see them making steps towards trying to improve that. I also saw Damian Lillard being more engaged on the defensive end, getting mm -hmm. some stops even as a post defender. And I believe that that's the Chauncey Billups effect, who, as we know, was part of one of the top defenses back in the mid-2000s with the Detroit Pistons that ended up upsetting the Lakers to capture a championship for the team in the Motor City. With that said, though, I mean, Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant, who, man, on nights when Dane not playing, oftentimes looks like a, a, a great value version of Kevin Durant. And I mean, no disrespect when I say that. Like, I mean, no disrespect. But the dude is getting it done in the ISO game, however you want it, and has had some incredible outings next to Anthony Simons, who, in my opinion, needs to be elevated upward in the most improved player conversation. And Grant should be getting consideration for an all-star nod. They're a team that the margin for error is very small. And I'm interested to see what they look like with Gary Payton a second when he returns. As yeah. people forget, you know, he signed a contract with them after winning the championship with the Warriors. He hasn't played it all this year. And Dame ain't really even shooting the ball all that well just yet. And we and we know that that's gonna come around. But where they are right now, I'm pretty sure they'll take it. It's still some some questions I have and concerns, but I give them a B minus. They they pass for me as well because they've exceeded my expectations, um, for sure. 
Ain't nothing wrong with great value, brother. I still use great value to cook my food myself, man. Ain't nothing wrong with using some great value. Who <laughs> take that personal, Jeremy Grant? Yeah, yeah don't I'll take that personal at all, bro. You, you know, you're doing your thing, man. You definitely doing definitely. your thing. Must but most definitely. Next, next team I want to talk about is the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors currently sit seventh in the East, twelve and eleven. Playing five hundred ball as of late. But even in spite of the absence of Pascal Siakam, who just recently came back after nursing an injury that he suffered several weeks ago, they've been competing, and they're in the thick of the playing picture. What grade would you give Toronto? A-. I'm going to give them a B-. Um, just because, like you said, they've been very competitive. Um, they've kept things relatively close, you know, especially with Pascal Siakam being out of the, out of the game, you know, Fred Van Fleet and those guys, you know, those guys, um, you know, along the leadership of Nick Nurse, you know, you can never question their effort on a day in and day night basis. They know, you know what you're going to get from them. They do make this competitive, but at the end of the day, it's a different team without Pascal Siakam on that floor, man. And you know, in an Eastern Conference where it's more competitive but not as loaded as the West is at this present moment, I would think even with – because even with Siakam last year, they the, the Toronto Raptors were still making some noise in the playoffs. You know, they were yeah. a playoff team. Uh, right now they're sitting on the seventh seed, which, I mean, you can't complain because you don't have Pascal Siakam, but even with that – and especially in comparison to other Eastern Conference teams that are struggling, like the Miami Heat, you know, I thought I, I, I thought they would be higher. This is put it the way. I thought they would be higher in the Eastern Conference. Um, more of the middle pack than the seven. I, would th- I was thinking maybe they could make, maybe reach to that fifth seed at this yeah. present moment. But but they but like I said, they they're competitive and they're still saying these games. So I'm gonna give them a B minus knowing that even though C is average and you're playing that average basketball, they're still slightly above average because they're not completely falling off the grid compared to what I thought I could potentially see them at this present, at this present time. We trained places with the Raptors. You gave Portland a B. Mm-hmm. I gave Portland a B minus. You gave Toronto a B minus. I'll give it Toronto a B. Toronto's been a top 10 ranked defense. And I think that's been one of the main reasons why they've been able to find so much success early this year. And they were 11 and nine through their first 20 games, half of which were without Pascal Siakam, who recently returned, as I mentioned, after dealing with a strain in his right adductor muscle. For them to be able to do that without him speaks volumes. And now with him back in the mix, I think that they will elevate up in the standings and become one of those teams akin to a team that you just mentioned and we'll get into down the road before the end of this month in the Miami Heat. I think they the Raptors have become a team similar to them in which if they get into the playoffs, no team is going to want to see them. Mm-hmm. We know that Nick Nurse 
is one of the best coaches in the league when it comes to making in-game adjustments night in, night out. Not just in the playoffs, but in the regular season as well. I've seen this man try defensive tactics on some of the game's top stars that most coaches wouldn't dare do. Wouldn't dare do it. You know, and I've always respected that a lot about him. OG Anunobi, like I said earlier on the show, he's a guy that really deserves a lot of praise for what he's been able to do. And he's a he's an all-star, in my opinion, with the way that he's been playing. And as you said, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent has stepped up, provided mm-hmm. some some big minutes and some key shooting as well. In the absence of Pascal, prior to him coming back, I'm going to give Toronto a B because I, I think that they will elevate upward as the year goes along. And this is a tough team. And even though they're not the best in the half court, they know how to turn defense into offense by running the break. And Scotty Barnes is one of the, the best finishers in the league when he got it on the break. That's not a guy you want to be in front of trying to take a charge. So I, I I like what Toronto's doing right now, even in spite of uh, the injury to Siakam. They weathered the storm. Yeah, they did. They did a good job of weathering the storm. You mentioned Scotty Barnes. I want to see how he progresses moving forward now that Pascal Siakam is back in the lineup. I want to see if he continue to make strides because he's going to be the X factor in a lot of these games moving forward, especially when it comes playoff time again. And we see the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs. Scotty Barnes is going to have to be the reason why. Not, not just Pascal Siakam, he's the leader. Scotty Barnes, the emerging star. He's going to have to be the reason why Toronto's make that extra leap. Yeah. And the last team I want to discuss in part one of this quarter season report card that I'll seek to do throughout the month of December now that we've reached the quarter mark of the year is the Denver Nuggets. 14-9 and nine in the Western Conference. Sit third overall, playing 500 ball over their last 10 games. League has been very competitive this year, I must say. But they only stand two games back of the Suns right now, as of this recording, for the top spot in the West. Nikola Jokic, reigning back-to-back MVP of the league, has been solid for the most part. Some people would consider him to be within the top five of MVP voting, depending on how you, you know, want to rank them. Michael Porter Jr. winning the lineup has been solid. Contavious Caldwell Pope has been shooting the lights out from three-point land. What grade would you give Denver through the first quarter of the year? I'll give him an A-. minus. I'll give him an A-. minus. Um, the, the difference, really the main difference be, is because of Jamal Murray. You got Jamal Murray back fully healthy. He's been playing well. And uh, you know, Jokic, you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna get with the Joker every night. And um, with his performance, and you, you already mentioned the uh, the increased play, Michael Porter Jr., Davis Caldwell Pope shooting good with the three. You can sell his his three point sessions with the lethal shooters paying off, as he's one of the top three point shooters uh, in the league this season. Um, Denver has a good lineup. Mike Malone is a hell of a coach when it comes to, like you you talk about Nick Nurse making the in game adjustments. Um, and making the proper uh, moves, regular season and playoffs, to make sure the team is the best position to win. Mike Malone's in the same category as well. So I'm not surprised in any way, shape, or form. The only reason why I give him a minus is because look who's number two. 
You mentioned Phoenix being number one. But number two is the New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans, a team that we never mentioned and thought of to be a top three team in the Western Conference right now. They're balling. Yeah. They have the edge over the Denver Nuggets right now. That's a, that's a situation where I thought Denver may have the chance to be number two because they've done it before. They're not there yet. So for New Orleans to get to that number two spot and Denver's catching them, which is a team we never thought would reach the number two spot in the Western Conference, I got to give them a slight – I got to give them that – I got to downgrade them a little bit from that A to an A-. minus. But overall, Denver's playing well. I'm going to give Denver an A because I didn't expect Denver to be within the top three of the West 20 days prior to Christmas as we record this. I didn't expect that. I knew that Jamal Murray was returning after tearing his ACL. I knew that Michael Porter was returning and that they would likely finish higher than what they did a season ago at six. But what's impressed me with them is despite not having the best bench in the league, despite not really being a great defensive team, still need to make some upgrades on the wing defensively to take that next step in my eyes. They found a way to win games. And after the loss they suffered at the hands of the Utah Jazz on opening night, I didn't see any signs of life. But then when I look at the way that they're shooting from three-point land, the way that offense is humming, the way that Jokic is guiding it, and guys like Michael Porter Jr. stepping up to the plate and making the most with what he has off of limited touches, as well as KCP and Aaron Gordon, who has been their best defender individually, in my opinion. I, I have to tip my cap. I just got to tip my cap. I have a lot of questions because while the starting lineup is great, that bench needs to be reworked. They got to make some upgrades to it come time for the deadline because Whenever Nikola Jokic sits, the offense gets a little bit stagnant. Mm -hmm. The teams start to go on runs. That forces Mike Malone to call a lot of timeouts. And as a result, they lose control of the game. It's some things they got to iron out. But I'm going to give Denver an A because I'm starting to see Jamal Murray look like his old self. And I'm starting to see Michael Porter take that corner. If he can stay healthy and if this team can improve defensively, hey, they could go on a deep playoff run. They could. I don't see it, but they could. I think the key in order for them to make that deep playoff run is a guy that you already mentioned in Aaron Gordon. He's going to have to be the guy, X-Factor-wise, where you know he steps up in ways that Honestly, even this year, it's already been his probably his best performances in a long time. Probably his best form since he'd been to Denver. Especially when we talk about the three-point shooting. That has improved drastically for him since in his since he's arrived at Denver. So I think Aaron Gordon is gonna be a huge key for them to take that next leap. And like at the same time, 
you're talking about how they how um you know when when the Joker sits, other teams go on runs. That's where they miss Jeremy Grant. He was that guy that helped slow those slow those runs down. He's the one that helped brought the consistency on both ends of the floor to where teams didn't have a chance to make runs. And that's that's where you're starting to see the Jeremy Grant effect from Denver, you know, leaving from Denver. But hopefully they can find someone to relieve some of that because, like you said, that's what they're going to need if they want to make things take things to the next level. Not just go back and uh, not not just to go back into the playoffs, but to actually get past the second round of the playoffs. That's well said. I want to transition into this NBA season, week eight of the NBA season. What are the top games that people should have their eye on over the next several days ahead? Got some big time national televised matchups and so forth, but what's a game that you will have your eye on that you think everybody else within our audience base should be checking out? I got two. One, okay. one of the game, I, actually, as a matter of fact, I believe both of them are going to be on a. Uh, on Friday. Yep, both okay. of the guys will be on Friday. First game, Sacramento Kings against the Cavs. I got to see that Darian Fox versus Dar- Dar- uh, Darius Garland matchup. I got like to see how those guards face off against each other, with, especially with the Kings playing so well um, right now and Cleveland, you know, doing what they do. I got to see the guard matchups um, for that game. And then after that, it's the same night. You know, but played slightly later, and that is the New Orleans Pelicans against the Phoenix Suns. I gotta see uh, Denver. You know, Phoenix has still been hot. They've been Devin Booker's been playing at an MVP level. We're talking about him maintaining the point guard combo guard roles with Chris Paul being out. You know, he's he's been on fire as of late. Now, I want to see how he plays up against the number two team in the Western Conference and the New Orleans Pelicans, who is thriving right now on both ends of the floor behind Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum, and Brandon Ingram, who has been the real big uh, big guy, along with the, along with those strong role players, Herb Jones, Trey, uh, Troy Murphy, uh, Trey Murphy Jr., those guys are really bringing the heat, man, and I, and I want to see how they combat against a deep team and a good team in the Phoenix Suns. Those are some games that, that definitely check out for sure. I know for me, the one game that I want to see is a couple of teams that we talked about on this episode. Lakers, I said, you know, they're in the middle of a six-game road trip. After they take on Cleveland on Tuesday night, which by the time this episode drops, that game will have gone final, they'll be sliding to the six to take on the Raptors in Toronto on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And I, I really want to see that that game, man, because you're talking about two teams that both rank within the top 10 defensively. You know that AD, with the way he's been playing over these last 11 or 12 games, is going to be a much-watched guy. I mean, this dude right now, like I said, man, if you're not watching him, you need to be watching him because, like, he's playing the best basketball we've seen in his career. And I know – he may have been playing great and fantastic in New Orleans, but when you play for the Lakers at the level in which he's doing, 
and you you put your name in exclusive company with the likes of Will Chamberlain and Shaq for the numbers that you've been putting up, you it's different. Mm-hmm. Like my man LaRussell say, it's just different. And um you 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 really gotta check out you got you gotta check out LeBron too, who in year 20 is still at the top of his game, unlike any other. And with Pascal Siakam, OG Anunobi, and those guys, you know behind that Toronto crowd, which is gonna have all the people on deck. I'm pretty sure Drizzy might be there too. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, gonna be, that's gonna that's gonna be that's gonna be a game to see. And on Saturday night, the finals rematch, Boston and Golden State. Boston is one of the hottest teams in the league. Golden State has only lost one game at home as of this recording thus far this year. Something's got to give. And in a finals rematch, I'm pretty sure Boston is going to be hell-bent on trying to use this as a statement game, especially with the country watching across ABC. So those are the two games I got for you all to watch out for this coming week. But with that said, I want to thank you all for tuning in to yet another edition of the Open Run Podcast presented to you by War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins for my guy Josh Hicks and all of us. So long, everybody.